Welcome to the first episode of the Restoring Virtue podcast. I'm so grateful you've decided to try this and that you're willing to take this next step with me. I'm your host, Emily. In this episode titled, Where It Hurts, we'll take a look at how sexual trauma made its initial negative impact. The World Health Organization estimates that about 30% of women worldwide have experienced either physical or sexual violence. In the United States, one in five women will experience completed or attempted rape during their lifetime. And one in three girls are sexually abused before the age of 18. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reports one in 13 boys in the United States experience childhood sexual abuse. Also, that nearly one in four men experience some kind of sexual violence during their lifetime. My beautiful home state of Alaska, sadly, leads the U.S. in rape cases. The latest number from a 2023 report, there are 147 rapes per 100,000 residents, twice the amount compared to the second leading state, Arkansas, reporting 77 cases per 100,000 residents. The issue of sexual violence is not simply a statistic. It is us. It's our mothers, our sons, our friends who are suffering. We don't have to look far to find somebody who's been impacted either directly or indirectly by this devastating epidemic. Sexual trauma affects the most intimate aspects of the body and the soul. It's especially devastating to how a victim experiences themselves inwardly and how they relate outwardly to the world. Some of the long-term consequences for us are depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, eating disorders, substance abuse, post-traumatic stress syndrome, just to name a few. The effects of sexual abuse can also manifest physically with chronic pain, especially in our gut and pelvic areas. The physical act of sexual violence and the evidence that it took place Maybe in your past now. However, the pain is real and present. We're still suffering, some of us even decades later. So where is the pain coming from? It's fitting that our series of gospel discussions begins with how this all came about. What I mean is this crazy life we're all in right now. The gospel of Jesus Christ teaches that our spirits were created by God and that we lived together with him as his spirit children before we were born. While in God's presence, we were presented with a plan. We were taught as spirits that if we so choose, we would leave the presence of God, be given a physical body, and enter a state of mortality, or a state where we would be subject to both physical and emotional pain, weakness, and death, and sorrow as a result of being separated from God. Because our spirits were created by the hand of God, each was bestowed with his goodness. We are literally children of God and inherently understand good and are directed towards it. We were also each created with the innate right to choose and taught that the choices we make while separated from God may either retain and enlarge that goodness we have or deny it until we forget it existed in the first place. God called this plan the great plan of happiness. Happiness because as we retain and enlarge our goodness, We will be lifted up above the pain, weakness, sorrow, and even death to return home to live with God in a state of eternal happiness. We were accepting of this plan, 
we understood that this was the best way to reach our potential. So there it began, in heaven with God, we, his children, accepted the plan to have this mortal experience. Each of us was born into this world with three gifts. These were given freely by God, and they are essential to begin and aid us in this mortal experience. One, a body. We all have one. In fact, I've never met anyone without one. Two, agency. The power to choose or free will. And three, the light of Christ, or conscience. After God created this earth, he created a man from its dust. This was a physical body that was created. From chapter 5, verse 7 in the book of Abraham, God took his spirit, that is the man's spirit, and put into him, meaning put the spirit into the body, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The physical body was created to house the spirit, and there is a real, true, and sacred bond between the two. The physical body processes and responds to all life experiences. The physical body tells us about the environment we live in. A fire is hot. A thorn is sharp. A rabbit is soft. While the spirit has an awareness of things that are unseen, love is good. Rejection is scary. Giving is kind. The interaction between the body and the spirit is what humankind is in constant search of. It's experienced in healthy ways through joyful tears, happy smiles and laughter, a healthy dose of adrenaline after a great accomplishment, being emotionally moved by beautiful scenery or a tender moment, or by physical or sexual contact within a trusted and covenant relationship. The prophet President Russell M. Nelson said, the spirit and body are the soul of man. Each one of us, therefore, is a dual being, a biological, physical entity, and an intellectual, spiritual entity. The combination of both is intimate throughout mortality. That spirit, joined with a physical body of such remarkable qualities, becomes a living soul of supernal worth. Consider the words President Nelson uses to describe the relationship between body and spirit intimate, joined, and living. Victims of sexual trauma often describe leaving their bodies, feeling different from others, feeling invisible or numb. This is known in the psychology world as dissociation. However, these phrases go beyond a textbook definition. They speak not only to our sexual trauma, but our spiritual trauma that occurs when this sacred bond between body and spirit is broken. Take a look at some antonyms of President Nelson's words of choice. First, some antonyms for intimate are distant, withdrawn, empty. A few antonyms for joined are broken, disconnected, or detached. Finally, the antonyms for living are useless or dead. Think about those words. Are those words you've used to describe the hurt you felt from sexual abuse? I feel broken. I'm useless. I feel empty inside. A past prophet, David O. McKay, stated that, Next to the bestowal of life itself, the right to direct that life is God's greatest gift to man. The right to direct one's life is called agency, the power to choose, or free will. 
Consider this sentence as a definition for agency, quote, the power to choose. You may think the subject is choose, but the most important word in this sentence is actually power. Using freedom to choose your agency, whether in large or small ways, is your greatest power. During the act of sexual violence, your right to choose is denied in the most profound way, as the choice denied is the right to your own body. Again, next to the bestowal of life, the right to direct that life is God's greatest gift. Knowing that choice is power gives deeper understanding to why we often describe feeling powerless. You may not realize when you use the common description that your, quote, power was stolen, you are actually stating a fact. The goodness bestowed upon all of us has a name. It's called the light of Christ, or conscience. The gospel topics from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints defines it as the divine energy or influence that proceeds from God through Christ and gives light and life to all things. The light of Christ influences people for good. Conscience is a manifestation of the light of Christ, enabling us to judge good from evil. The word light is often associated with truth. The symbolism is obvious. Light makes it possible to see. The phrase, shed light on, is a metaphor for how knowledge can give us understanding of ourselves and the world around us. A person who has this knowledge may say they are enlightened. On the other hand, when a person doesn't know or understand, they are, quote, kept in the dark. Another word we use as victims of sexual trauma, darkness. Darkness describes the secrecy surrounding abuse. Many victims of abuse remain silent for fear we will not be believed. Maybe we don't know who to trust or we did tell and our disclosure was minimized. We may have been threatened or coerced into silence, or we may believe the truth will hurt our loved ones. No matter how the secret came to be, its consequence is that we are, in reality, in the dark. There are three words intuitive to every victim of sexual trauma. Those words are lost, powerless, and darkness. These words describe where it hurts. In gospel terms, the broken bond between body and spirit, the agency that was stolen, and the truth that was hidden. In summary, these three gifts, a body, agency, and conscience, are vital to our ability to live the plan of happiness. A body to experience all that life has to offer, agency to direct that body, our thoughts, our actions, and conscience tells us how. If you are somebody who has been abused, it's going to be difficult to live the plan. Abuse halts, or at least seriously stalls, the natural progression that is meant to take place in this life. Many of us also say we feel stuck. The good news is that there is hope. You may have been powerless in a moment, but you are not ultimately powerless to change your circumstance. Hope is the reasonable confidence that your efforts will bring future rewards. Ultimate hope is the anticipation of eternal life through faith in God's plan. Hope is what motivates a victim of sexual abuse to reach out from the darkness for help. Hope makes it possible to believe there is something better for you. Alaska's approximately 660,000 square miles of rough terrain are covered with microclimates. 
Mountain ranges, valleys, tundra, and thousands of rivers, lakes, and streams create weather conditions that vary substantially from mile to mile. It could be a glorious day of sunshine on the hayflats, while dark rain clouds hang over the Knick River Valley and the wind blows in town. These microclimates produce the most incredible rainbows. The rainbow is a common symbol of hope, or for the promise of better times ahead. And the science behind the rainbow is a great metaphor for why. To form a rainbow, there must be two components. There must be water droplets in the air, typically from a storm cloud, and sunlight. Light from the sun enters the water droplets, and instead of going straight through, bends in several different directions, separating the white light. The separated light is then reflected back out of the water droplets as the colors of the rainbow. This metaphor perfectly illustrates how, with a little bit of hope, beauty is born even from the darkest moments in our lives. I've taught my children that the test in this life is not the trials we go through. Hard things will pass. Everything we are experiencing right now will all go away someday. The real test in this life is to find God, to find him in the trials and in all things. And because it is our choice to do so, to let God be part of our experience while on this earth. One particularly difficult and dark winter day, when rainbows are dormant for the season, I walked into my kitchen in a low mood to find a rainbow that my youngest daughter had drawn and hung on the refrigerator. Centered at the top of the page was written in child's lettering, a symbol of hope. I took the drawing off the refrigerator and studied it. My daughter had been drawing rainbows all winter. This was just her most recent interpretation. Then I added it to the stack of other rainbows she'd drawn. I looked again at the picture on the top and then at each one in the stack with its own artistic flair. This time I saw more than a child's drawings. I saw a stack of blessings and was reminded that I have never been truly alone in this mortal world. The bow is not only a symbol of hope and better days, but a reminder of God's covenant that he will always be with us. Now I'd like to leave a few thoughts with you to keep in mind. First, start thinking about your freedom to choose as your greatest power. This will be the foundation for everything we discuss here. I'm not just speaking of those big life-changing decisions. Your power is manifest in the simple day-to-day -day things that you do. Even brushing your teeth, you are choosing to make a positive impact on the body you've been given. You don't have to get out of bed in the morning. You choose to get out of bed because whatever it is that you do adds life to this lone and dreary world. Those big choices are important too, though. One of the biggest choices I ever made was to move from the place I spent my childhood, thousands of miles away to Alaska. That drive was over two decades ago, but what I remember about it was a sense that I was leaving my past abuse behind. For the first time, I felt free. And isn't that what the power to choose is all about? Freedom. I didn't know what lay ahead of me at the time, but that choice turned out to be one of the best choices I ever made. So what is the best choice that you ever made? And I'm wondering, how did it set you free? Second, know that your body can feel pleasure, excitement, stillness, and all good things just as well as it can feel the pain of trauma. Perhaps one of those choices you make, 
could be to give yourself a moment to just take a deep breath. Third, there is something better for you. I know you believe that. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here right now. Finally, I want to tell you that you are not alone either. I'm at least one person who's in this with you.